a life in the day of Cece and Alex. Mm. A life in the yeah. day. Hey, guys. Life of the day. That's right. <laughs> How are you guys? Doing good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, if you all couldn't tell already, we have a guest today. We do. We do. We have a guest today. Uh, his name is Troy Price. Troy, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, I'd love to. Hey, I'm uh, Troy Price. I do a podcast. It's called Podcasting Tips from the Front Porch. And it's uh, just, you know, this kind of level of humor and just, you know, things that I've learned along the way. Nice. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we're glad to have you here on the 13th Floor. Listeners, welcome to the 13th Floor podcast where we come together every week to talk about something strange. And this week, (laughs) we're returning to food conspiracies. Guess who's back? Yummy. Okay, so icebreaker time. I guess what what's our icebreaker? Oh, yeah. James, I'm putting this one on you today. Okay, you know that's <laughs> no. fine because I knew you would, and I thought of one. Um, I was thinking since we're talking about food, what is the one food that you just cannot live without, and what's the other food that you'd rather have your fingernails pulled out instead of eat? Oh, I've already got my answer, James. You just want me to go ahead and go? Yeah, you go first. All right. I mean, this is pretty basic. But just pizza. Yeah. I could have a pepperoni pizza. Every day. Every day of my life. We if were I in wanted co- to. It, when we were in college, he did. I, I, that's pretty true for high school, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, uh, as for the fingernails, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd rather have my fingernails pulled out, but the, my least favorite thing that I consistently try, because people try to convince me I'm wrong, is mm. Brussels sprouts. Uh, they're, uh, they're a heinous crime against man. It's they're disgusting. delightful. I might as well just I might as well just take a cabbage and roll it in the dirt and then lick it. That, that, I mean, that's <laughs> so, the same thing. So wait, you like cabbage but not Brussels sprouts? No, I didn't say cabbage was any good. Oh, okay, I, I was wondering. I was like, if you like one and not the other, there is a psychological reason here. You saw somebody get shot oh. while you were eating Brussels sprouts when you were a kid or something. it's very possible um this is a hard one for me because there are just so many foods that i really don't like oh my everything yeah alex (laughs) what do you think what do you say i hate the most i don't know a soda maybe yeah i hate soda don't don't even get near me (laughs) what about what's the food you can't live without the food that i can't live without would probably be Pasta of any sort, yeah, lasagna. Lasagna is my favorite. Nice. Yeah. Or chi- no, I'm sorry, I take that back. It's chicken noodle soup. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I could eat chicken noodle soup every day. Never <laughs> get tired of it. <laughs> well, yeah, how about you? Well, I completely love sushi, and I love that like it's all the yeah. food groups just in one bite. That's very helpful. And yeah. this may be a cop oh. out about food, but I hate mustard. I could go the rest of my life. With I know. Oh, good man. Yeah. yeah. See, I like mm-hmm. mustard, but mayonnaise. That's mine. That I can't stand it. I hate anything with mayonnaise on it. I, I just, I think it's, even though it doesn't contain dairy, I think it's just like spoiled milk is what it tastes like. It tastes how Ooh. rotten milk smells. Um, uh, yeah. Oof. And as for the food, I can't live without um, easily. Like it kind of weirds me out how, Often I eat peanut butter. I love peanut butter. So oh, peanut butter is a good peanut classic butter. choice. Yeah. Really? Yes. For a second, for some reason, I thought you were going to say diced ham, James. <laughs> Ham's for I was thinking like almost like kombucha or some uh, weird thing. Well, see, I thought about saying tea because I drink it every day, but I was like, that's cheating. That's a beverage, and it's ninety nine point nine percent water. So, 
Yeah, that's true. That's wait, true. wait. Does your water have fluoride in it? Funny you should <laughs> ask. Um, tea actually naturally contains a lot of fluoride to the point that people in Tibet, for example, who drink tea like a lot every day and it's puer, which is fermented, which means there's more fluoride in it. They actually get fluoridosis at an exponentially larger rate than anybody else. Oh, James. Wow. James, listen, don't talk too much more because I'm talking about fluoride Fair later point. this episode. Yeah, but today we're Troy's actually going to start us off. And Troy, before you get started, anything you'd like to plug or talk about? Yeah, go for it. I just I have been keeping it strange for several months now. I'm excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And you guys met. You met James at Podfest, correct? That's right. Absolutely, down in Orlando, yeah. Florida. Yep. Troy's yeah, also from like Kentucky. right before things started getting strange and we couldn't have traveled. And yeah, that. it was like oh. time. yeah, that was like yeah, I think it was like four days later. They were like nobody's flying anywhere ever again. <laughs> That's what I remember when you told us you were going there, James. I remember thinking he's nuts. <laughs> he's nuts for getting on an airplane, but paid off. It was good. It was a good trip. Yep, agreed. Yeah, Yeah, well, uh, Troy's actually going to start us off today. He's going to be talking about, Troy, I'm going to let you tell us what you're talking about. (laughs) Not a problem, not a problem. Thanks for letting me start off. I wanted to share uh, two kind of food conspiracy things. And really, because they're like personal to me, not that I created the conspiracy, but I have been impacted by both of these. All right. The first uh, is, well, yeah, this is so real. Imagine you're, uh, you know, in college years, okay, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, did you know that Procter & Gamble is in a conspiracy with the devil? And I said, no. (laughs) And so this person that I was completely respected said, let me show you. And uh, they got in their backpack and pulled out because everybody had backpacks in college, right? Uh, Pulled out. Yeah. Yeah tube of crest and flipped it over and said, see this little moon logo right here with these stars. Here's what I heard. Mr. Proctor from Proctor and Gamble uh, made a deal with the devil and that the devil told him that if he put this symbol on uh, his products, that it would make him a very rich man. And he did. And like, it was told (laughs) to be as real. Okay, and sure enough, on that tube of toothpaste, there there was that symbol. And you can go and look like today, look at a Procter & Gamble product. And Yeah, uh, I just pulled it up. Yeah, so that's like that was like it's- a real thing that impacted me in my, in, you know, in my uh, college years. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's wow. what happens. Okay, here, here's like the whole story. This is the rest of the story. All right. Uh, that's, that is hogwash, A. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a, that's completely untrue. But it goes back, and here's a, here's a quick side note, like Procter & Gamble was like, in a, it started in like the 1920s, okay, right as the, um, d- the depression of, you know, the early 1900s happened, all right? They, uh, that we have to distinguish now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, the reason they got so popular is during the Depression, they uh, paid advertising for soap operas on the radio, and then that transitioned over. So we have soap operas because of the Depression and Procter & Gamble. But that's just a side note. Huh. All right? Uh, so they're from way back then, and they had this symbol way back then. Uh, in 1973, the movie The Exorcist 
was released, all right? Uh. And people became incredibly <laughs> obsessed with Satan and Satanism, okay, in, in the uh-huh. U.S. And that's what uh, they had a, a name, the, you know, the Satanic Panic. All right. Yeah. And yeah. so, that you know, the devil caused everything. And this was when people really looked into uh, like hard rock music and backward masking. You remember all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Oh, all everything. of that yeah. was going on at this time. And uh, the first recorded, you know, incidents of this, you know, being an issue was in the newspapers around Minnesota. All right. They said people are talking about this and this is rather strange. And they recounted what I just told you. So, so in the 80s and early 90s, it was really picking up as a real thing. Procter & Gamble said, I'm not going to pursue anything against, you know, this rumor. Because, you know, how do you defend yourself against, you know, just something so crazy? Uh, mm. yeah. right. And that lasted for two years because then they started, you know, it was catching on so much. They started to sue people for now, is it is it slander or libel that's in written, the written word? Uh, libel. Libel. Okay, so they started yeah. suing people for libel if they were promoting that and and writing, and they were of course winning every time. There's no evidence at all that you know that the devil went down to well, wherever Procter and Gamble is, and um, <laughs> so it's completely completely hogwash. And, but it's still relevant. Going back to the, here's here's the most recent thing with it. Uh, are you all familiar with Amway? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's multi-level <laughs> marketing, but they have a product yeah. line that's very similar to Procter & Gamble stuff. And what they did, this was right at about the turn of the century, you know, 19, over into the 20th century. When people said that they were interested in Amway, they would put their telephone number in just to their robocalls. And their robocalls to people that are interested in Amway said, did you know that Procter & Gamble funds the Church of Satan? And you can find this out. Why don't you become an Amway representative? You know, and, and uh, so they sued Amway. Oh. And in 2007, you know, got a settlement of that. And, uh, and then in 2013, uh, they, they shied away from their logo from the 80s, you know, to uh, 2013, but they started putting the logo back on everything in 2013. So if you go and see it, uh, any Procter & Gamble product right now, you can see the, you know, the sat- satanic logo that they have. <laughs> Interesting. I, it's funny because, like, never in a million years would I have looked at that and thought, oh... I'm Procter right. & Gamble and Lucifer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just... It just looks like a blue circle. Right. And, you know, the origin of it is the first, well, this, you know, there's lots of different stories how urban legends really began. But this guy said he was looking in a a book on Egyptology and that that symbol was in there from, you know, ancient Babylon and also blah, blah, blah. But uh, I I share that because of the the personal impact that it had on me and it's very on topic. Okay. So, but completely (laughs) untrue. All right. Wow. Okay, now my, yeah. my second one is a hundred percent true. All right. And it makes me think that the Illuminati could be real. All right. Oh. Uh, how this is personal is uh I grew up on a tobacco farm and in central Kentucky, and there is not 
harder farm work than tobacco. Oh yeah. And yeah, we, we used to worked, too. we worked the land and like one day you would go out and work in tobacco and you would come back in dirty and sore on one part of your body. And then you would go and, you know, you would come in and house the tobacco and it would be dirty and sore in another part of your body. It's just a hard, hard work. All right. And so I oh, yeah. still remember that, you know, every day of my life. It turns out that like all the tobacco companies, you know, it's called Big Tobacco. They are guilty of conspiracy and racketeering on several, several different levels. All right. And this goes back to like the 1950s. All right. Back in the 1950s, uh, they were asked from the government to uh, admit, in essence, that uh, tobacco was uh, cancer causing. And they said, you know, I'm not really willing to commit to that. <laughs> that my product is cancer causing. I'm not going to agree to that. Why don't we set up an independent commission to look into it? Oh yeah. And they, and the government agreed to that and then let the tobacco people uh, choose who was on that commission. And they were all tobacco people on the commission. And so it was almost sounds like a sound plan. Absolutely. <laughs> so here we go. Um, that, uh, that, you know, in the 50s, it, it's not cancer causing because of that independent council. In the 60s, the question was, is it addictive with the nicotine part of it? OK. And the, a, a council that changed its name, but, you know, the same people with the same mindset said, nope, I can't find that it's cancer cause or excuse me, that it's addictive. And uh, so it just goes on and on. It was the same, you know, people pushing the same platform uh, and perspectives. And it was, you know, different companies. They really were working together. And then they, uh, the next level of conspiracies, they all were working together because they wanted to make more healthy cigarettes. And uh, so they called it like ultra and, you know, light and low tar. But yeah. You know, low tar is like, you know, like in the early 1700s here in America when, you know, Britain's loyalists were tarred and feathered and someone would say, well, you know, why give me less tar, please. You're still being tarred and feathered. <laughs> uh, you know, just tar, <laughs> do that with less tar. It's it's all bad for you. But everybody said that, that the, you know, the, the, the independent councils that, you know, they own were saying, yeah, that, that's a good thing. Well, uh, right at the late uh, 90s, people, you know, actually said, no, you know, maybe all of that work you've done for the past 40 years wasn't exactly true. And uh, so they fought it in court. They'd be in the tobacco companies and uh, they lost one lawsuit in one state. And so every other state lined up to get their millions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And the... Uh, the tobacco companies just agreed to settle racketeering charges. And so there's lots of money going around now. And what you probably have noticed in your life is your first memories of tobacco probably had warnings that says, you know, that may be hazardous to your health. And that was an agreement from like the seventies. But now those warnings say things like smoking can kill you. And, Smoking can cause, you know, whatever cancer of your throat. And they're much more pointed because they have to admit to that. But 
it was completely right. a conspiracy at, at the highest levels of multiple people, uh, you know, multiple different companies pushing the same market. And that, that's real. And that's a that's the biggest example of, you know, people working together with shared interest towards a, a large goal. It makes me think that yeah, the wow. Illuminati could be, exist. Interesting. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of Illuminati floating around today, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> do you have do you have a new Illuminati? I've got an Illuminati reference in oh, mind too. Whoa. It's fluoride, but I'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're going last. I'm going last today. Yeah. As All if right. by design. Yeah, you... So thank you so much for letting me share my good, good news. That was interesting. Thanks for yeah, being thank on you. here. Cool, cool. So who is going next? I believe that would be me. Oh, James. James, take it away. Okay. Sure. I'm going to be talking about something pretty polarizing, and that is GMOs. And one of the reasons why it's polarizing, actually, is I have mixed feelings about GMOs, which means anyone with an opinion about GMOs will be mad. (laughs) 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 So um, first, first thing to ask about GMOs, I think, should be what are GMOs? I mean, everybody is probably familiar at least with the fact that it means genetically modified organisms. But in what way are they modified? Like what makes them GMOs? Right. And the reason why I think that's important to look at is one of, again, I have mixed feelings here, but one thing that annoys me about the pro-GMO crowd is they love to say, oh, you don't like genetic uh, modified organisms? Why don't you eat uh, corn from 12,000 BC? It's almost inedible. Why don't you eat bananas from 4,600 BC? It's terrible. That's not what GMOs means, and they are stretching the definition to encompass anything that's been selectively bred by human beings throughout history, and that is not what that means at all. And it's it's very annoying when I hear that argument. It makes me want to go full anti-GMO just on principle alone and how annoyed I am by that <laughs> argument. Um, so a genetically modified organism is an organism that has been altered with DNA from another usually uh, another species, sometimes even another kingdom of life, in order to express certain desired traits. Uh, and I can think of no greater example, and I'll, I'll be coming back to this, than the uh, glow-in-the-dark fish, the glowfish. Oh, um, yeah. Because those are fish that have a, a cnidarian DNA. In other words, jellyfish DNA. A single gene has been inserted into their genome to make them express that trait that these jellyfish have for being luminescent which is why they glow. In nature, mm-hmm. something like that simply couldn't exist because they're basically like little neon signs like, eat this fish. <laughs> so <laughs> it's something that you're really not going to see in a natural setting. And it's not something you're ever going to see those fish adapt themselves. Even if you give them a million years, there's not really a certain situation where that would be advantageous for them. And I think that's very important to note. Selective breeding is when we see traits that already exist in an organism And we encourage the uh, spread of those traits by breeding that particular organism. So it takes time, and it's already something that exists. Natural selection is when the organism does this for its own benefit in order to survive and reproduce. And that's what every, literally every living thing you see is the product. They are the best of the best 
of what evolution has to offer because they're surviving for their own benefit. The exception there would be domestic plants and animals, and that they're survived for our benefit. Genetically modifying something is when you take a gene that could not conceivably exist within that species and you apply it to them. And the, the main way they do this is via a plasmid, uh, which is like a circular cut of DNA that's injected uh, through a, a virus because viruses inject us with our, their DNA all the time. Now, here's mm-hmm. one of the other problems I have with genetically modified organisms. Uh, I have a few, uh, but that being said, like I'm, I'm going to be pro as well in some respects. But the other issue that I have with that is there's an outdated view, which is, I mean, I was even taught this in genetics class, one gene, one trait. So for every gene you have, you have a trait that is expressed. And that's not true. Um, now we're learning that genes have an effect on one another. Like if one gene, epigenetics, they call it, if one gene throughout your life is activated and the other is made latent, it can actually cause sort of a, uh, uh, a chain of effects where other traits will also be affected. And that really makes a lot of sense. It's one of the reasons why you don't uh, commonly see someone, say, with uh, uh, albinism, but non-albino eyes, even though that one gene has been altered, genes that are expressed in other parts of the body are also altered. Um, I might have that one wrong, but I think that's, I think that's accurate. But I mean, I definitely know for sure that, <laughs> that one gene, one trait is, is erroneous. It's no longer the case. Genes affect one another, not, not what the gene is, but how it's expressed and how it's expressed is going to affect how an organism interacts with the environment and its overall fitness. That being said, one of the best arguments I've ever heard for genetically modified organisms is, is twofold. One, it can help people. And that is really why we have domestic plants and animals is for our own benefit. Uh, the best example I can think of, of this would be golden rice. Golden rice has had three genes altered that have make it significantly more nutritious. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are alive today because of golden rice, because mm-hmm. it's been altered in that way kind of hard to argue against that. I mean, that's a right. wonderful thing. Another great thing uh, about uh, genetically modified organisms, or, or actually, I think more accurately to say another argument I have against the anti-GMO crowd, is I hear them argue that there is a detrimental effect of genetically modified organisms on a person's nutrition or their health. In other words, if you eat a, uh, an heirloom tomato, you'll be okay. But if you eat a genetically modified one, you'll be more likely to get cancer or, or digestive diseases and you won't get as much nutrition and n- none of that's mm. valid. The only way that a genetically modified plant would hurt you would be if it was modified to hurt you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, so I was wondering if they modified it to become poisonous or something. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, that's one of the things we have done with BT corn, for example, uh, there's a, a naturally occurring bacteria that I strongly support people using, by the way. BT is great as a bacterium. I'm a little more on the fence about BT corn. What they've done is they've taken that Bacillus thuringiensis gene and they've inserted it into the corn so it naturally produces the same toxins as the bacteria. This means that the corn kills the pests that would normally hurt the corn. Now, there is a good thing about that, too. This is another thing I'll say in support of genetically modified organisms. I would rather have a plant that kills a pest species and only a pest species and doesn't kill every flipping arthropod that it comes across, which is what happens when we use a lot of insecticides. 
And insecticide doesn't, it, it's a chemical that will affect pretty much anything. It'll even affect humans. Uh, in fact, if you, if you see a human who has uh, overdosed on pesticide, they've been overexposed to it, the way that they uh, suffer and die, it's, it's almost identical to watching an insect. It's the same symptoms because we're really not that different. That's and so sad. It is. Uh, in fact, my entomology professor, that was actually what got him into entomology, was his, his father survived. But his father was exposed to too much pesticides on their family farm, and he watched that. And it, you know, he had seen it countless times happen to insects, and that got him interested in insects. The, that correlation of like, oh, my dad and and the the bugs eating our corn aren't that different. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird how the, things like that affect people. But my biggest issue with GMOs, and and I'm sorry that this has turned into a soapbox instead of an analysis, but I mean, it's it's again, it's a divisive topic, and there's good and bad about both. Um, there are two issues I have with GMOs that really bother me, and it's something that I think that we all need to have a conversation about instead of just ignoring, because it, th- these two issues, I think, they're not going to go away. The first is the world is not a laboratory, and when you genetically modify something, let's let's say you genetically modify cabbage with a an inserted gene from a scorpion that makes it uh, slightly toxic to beetles and only beetles. Okay, great, good. Now you've got cabbage in a laboratory that you can test with beetles and see if it has an effect. But the minute you plant that cabbage in a field somewhere, it's not being studied. It it is capable of interacting with its environment. And so if there is a problem with it, you can't really unring that bell. Like if there's yeah. some unforeseen effect, like, oh, turns out it also poisons an endangered butterfly in the area. Well, you can't bring that back. You can't recall that cabbage. Every, Like I said, every living thing is a product of, of evolution. Every living thing is, is the best of the best that managed to survive thus far. Well, every single organism wants to survive and reproduce. That's their goal. Even plants. We tend to think of plants as these stationary, passive things. But a forest is no different than than a lion eating a gazelle. Two trees next to each other, they're trying to outgrow one another. They're trying to block each other's sunlight. And if the other one dies, good. More nutrients for the stronger tree. It's survival of the fittest. That cabbage doesn't care whether you make it into uh, cabbage soup or not. It only cares about surviving and reproducing. And if we give it an evolutionary edge over other organisms in the area, it could have an ecological impact. Just like if you uh, if you end up importing a, a feral organism, an organism along. Like I love giant African land snails. I want one. I don't have one because I respect the fact that they are illegal in the United States, and they are illegal in the United States because they're from Africa. And if they got out in Kentucky, they could destroy the ecology of Kentucky. That is well established. So I don't have one. Well. Right. If I were to take a cabbage plant and give it a giant African land snail gene, that cabbage is now feral to the world. It, it's never existed in the world, nor could it ever naturally come into being in the world. And the effects that it could have on its environment should not be neglected. Again, this is not an anti-GMO argument. It's just something that really needs to be thoroughly vetted and not just in the hands of, as Troy mentioned with tobacco companies, in the hands of, of a small number of, of companies that stand to profit off of that practice. Right. The other thing that bothers me about it is uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Cece, your, your brother's dog. Oh. I want to talk about uh, Franklin. I love Franklin. You want to talk about Frankie? Stanky yeah. Frankie? I love Franklin. I love seeing his pictures on Instagram. He's a very photogenic dog. 
Franklin. Yeah, you can follow him at, at Franklin Floppy Ears. That's <laughs> his, his handle. Franklin is a Jack Russell Terrier. And that is because his breed was created by a priest named Jack Russell. So I think that's interesting. They were selectively bred. The genes already existed. It's just Jack Russell saw traits that he found desirable, and he kept breeding dogs that had those desirable traits until he ended up with something uniform that consistently showed those traits, and then he named it after himself, Jack Russell Terrier. Here's the thing. If Jack Russell had a long-lost nephew or something, because, again, he was a priest, uh, you would not owe him a nickel every time you bought a Jack Russell or wrote the word Jack Russell or anything like that, because even though he bred it into existence, if you breed an animal into existence, you don't own that that breed. You don't own a species or a genus. You can't own a group of living organisms. You can own a single one that you bought or, or created, but you can't own the whole shebang. But with genetic modification, we have patented organisms now. Like I mentioned about glowfish. Those glowfish yeah. are the property of the company that created them. Those glowfish are owned by a company. And so if you buy one from a pet store, it's not really your fish, nor is the fish its own fish. It is interesting. The, yeah, on a genetic level, it's owned by something else. This is what I take most issue with. Uh, again, I, I'm not anti-GMO inherently, but we need a change of laws regarding the ownership of a genome. You should not be able to own a species or a genus or anything of the sort on a genetic level because it creates all sorts of potential problems. Like, for example, the Cavendish banana. That's a banana that uh, we, we almost all eat because, you know, the gross Michel, like we talked about before, it, it yeah. had some trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Whoever gr- plants one owns that plant. Imagine if something we needed to survive, like, like rice like potatoes, like corn. Imagine if it was, there was a corner of the market of just genetically modified ones and you couldn't find heirloom varieties. At that point, everything you need to survive to not starve to death would be in the hands of some plutocrat who owns it on a genetic level. I don't think that's safe. And I think it's a serious issue that needs to be evaluated by uh, every single uh, parliament and senate on earth until we reach a, a conclusion about how ownership of a living thing should work. And in my opinion, it shouldn't at all. No one should be able to own the genetics of anything. Hmm. So, James, that's, very, a, that's yeah. a lot. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting off my soapbox now. Take it away, whomever. Well, that, was, that, was, <laughs> uh, that was a very good soapbox. Alex, Thank you're you. next, aren't you? Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I'm not a history major. But I know a little bit of history. <laughs> I didn't know this about the prohibition. Oh, Alex, can we talk about booze? Booze, baby. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about the beers and the liquors and the spirits. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I mean, what's, what I really started looking for was like wild food conspiracies. And then I saw one that was like, oh, did you know? That the government killed 10,000 people in the Prohibition with poison? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I was no. like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, uh, that can't be right. And I started digging into it, and, well. It's right? It's right. Oh, no. Yeah, it did, man. Uh, yeah, so I never really did give a lot of thought to... Where the alcohol was coming from during the prohibition, 
you know, I, I assumed it was probably being bootlegged from elsewhere and then, you know, made bootleg. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It was made by my grandpa, while, who made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And while, like, yeah, some of it was coming across the border, it's mostly all stolen. And then mm-hmm. made in their own in their own little warehouses or wherever the hell they're making it. And that's where it gets really interesting. So most of the alcohol is actually stolen from these industrial refineries where they do, or it's industrial alcohol, which they use for all kinds of things like medical supplies and all these other things, but not for drinking. This alcohol is not for (laughs) drinking people. (laughs) But if the right people get it, then you can use it for drinking. Yeah. You just got to know what you're doing. Blood, blood, blood. Do you know why? That's right. You know, I mean, do you know why industrial alcohol is not good for you? Alcohol is a broad word. Like, there's a lot of different alcohols, but there's only one that people can drink. If you drink any other kind, you will die. And ethanol is what humans can consume in relatively normal amounts, like what we consider to be normal. That's what gets you drunk. Right. Methanol is a very common uh, relative of ethanol, very toxic. And octane, for example, which is in gasoline, great, great source of energy if you're a car, but it'll kill a human. (laughs) (laughs) So so there's lots of alcohols. Ethanol is the only one that we can have that will not mess us up. And even trace amounts is that's what makes bottom shelf liquor, like make people sick is just little tiny, tiny amounts of methanol that escape to their process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So exactly. So this industrial alcohol, it back then it was basically grain alcohol with chemicals mixed in just so that it would be undrinkable to normal Mm. people. And they actually started doing this in 1906, and the reason they did it was it was called it's called de, de, denaturing. Sorry, denaturing. 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 Thank you, James. Sorry, it's called <laughs> denaturing. No, no, no. This is like Alex. It's all right. Pat you on the back because you pulled a CC. Okay. Can't pronounce. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. See, when I when I can't pronounce it, I'm just like, well, Cece does this way worse. <laughs> but yeah, they do this process called denaturing, which they started in 1906 to avoid having taxes levied on them for transporting alcohol. Oh. So I guess by making by making these undrinkable, it's no longer considered a spirit. Hmm. Yeah. So after prohibition kicked in, well. People started stealing this alcohol. And they started, the government, as a result, started kind of poisoning it a bit. They just kind of made it, <laughs> they made it worse tasting and they made it like slightly lethal. <laughs> like just a little lethal. <laughs> but it really, the whole process was really to make it undrinkable. But the interesting thing is the crime syndicates were able to pay more money to these chemists that helped to denature these spirits. So now they're getting renatured and they're getting all the stuff, all the bad stuff taken out. And now it's going to in a drinkable state. And so this is what the bootleggers did. They, they paid these chemists more than the government did. And so they did a better job. For Goodness. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is once, once the, once the government found out about all this, well, what are you going to do? Well, you make it really, really deadly. <laughs> what did they put in it? So I've got a list of a few things that they put in it. 
They put kerosene in it. Jesus mm. Christ. That doesn't go down very smoothly. They put brucine in it, which is used to make lubricants and anesthetics. So you would imagine ingesting a bunch of something that makes anesthetics. No. Probably not good for you. Gasoline. Ew. <laughs> Again, lots of calories. Ben- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, benzene, which is a liquid from coal, ta- uh, from coal tar and petroleum. Uh, cadmium, which oh, oh my we know. God. Yep. <laughs> Cadmium's pretty bad. Uh, zinc. Well, I'm taking zinc right now to get to to prevent getting the virus. So, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously, it's not good. Mercury salts. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, nicotine. Hey, we talked about nicotine earlier. Didn't yes, we? we did. We talked about nicotine earlier. Ether. <laughs> uh, <laughs> formaldehyde. Oh my gosh, this list is so long. Chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost done. Camphor, which <laughs> is uh, an insect repellent, as yeah. well as effing <laughs> yeah, ew, yeah, and they also use it to make plastic and explosives. <laughs> <sighs> uh, and then the last three: carbolic acid, which is just this really poisonous compound again for anesthesia. I guess quinine, quinine. Quinine. Yeah, quinine. What'd you say? Quinine. James quinine. had it right there. Yeah, malaria right there. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce malaria this one, the most right common one, acetone. <sighs> Paint thinner. Yes, pretty much. I'm freaked out at how much of these I can identify. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they were mixing all of these things into all <laughs> into these alcohols that people were not aware were going to be that deadly all of a sudden. And this started happening in 1927. And so after there's this, I guess, party that happened in New York City where a lot of people all of a sudden came in on one specific day with alcohol poisoning. Little emphasis on the poisoning. <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. And something like 16, uh, 16 people died and. It's like 70 or 80 got really, really sick. And it makes my stomach hurt just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. And so the a New York City medical examiner came out, uh, a guy named Charles Norris, and said that yet it continues its poisoning processes, heedless of the fact that people determined to drink are daily absorbing that poison. Knowing this to be true, the United States government must be charged with moral responsibility for the deaths that poison liquor causes although it cannot be held legally responsible because they they can poison this as much as they want because the people that are drinking it are stealing it uh, or buying it stolen geez. so so no one's legally the, the government doesn't owe these people anything right it's, uh, I it's never completely it legal way. to do this it's completely legal to do this because what they're doing is illegal right yeah if i put if i poison a glass of milk and put it on my table somebody breaks in and drinks it you know i'm not I'm not accountable for that. That's yeah, so exactly. weird. Yeah, so a, a lot of medical examiners really started pushing against this because they they started looking into it and noticing that it seemed like the less wealthy people were the ones being more directly affected. So it was almost targeting the the poorer people because they couldn't afford the good alcohol that a lot of other people were getting that was really distilled and it wasn't like all the 
this stuff with all the poison. It was the things that the chemists had really gotten to yeah. and completely alleviated all the problems. So Goodness. as a result, in 1926, I mean, I, I said the wrong year earlier, but in 1926, 400 people died. That's a lot of people. Of this poison alcohol. <laughs> after that, 700, I just burped in the middle of talking. Um, seven, after that, the numbers climbed to 700 people a year were dying until Prohibition was over. And it ends up being, they've calculated at least 10,000 people have died from the poison alcohol from the government. But completely legally, which Man. is just Insane. the most baffling part. Man, whoever signed off on it, though, should have been at least kicked a few times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- part of me, because the Treasury is really the one that was enforcing a lot of this, so oh, I would think it may have been them. Uh, just like in Monopoly, <laughs> never trust the treasurer. <laughs> um, how long was Prohibition? Uh, it was something like what, James? Like uh, thirteen years. Thirteen yeah. years. That's a long time. For some reason, in my brain, it was a lot shorter than that. I yeah, I, for some reason, yeah. Like I was thinking, like five, and then when you said thirteen, I was like, oh, I guess that's right. Dang. Nineteen twenty to nineteen thirty-three. Yeah. Hail bales, boy. <laughs> that's depressing. Yeah, so don't steal alcohol (laughs) and drink it because if you die, it's your fault. You never know what's according to the government. (laughs) You never know. Okay, (coughs) is it my turn? It is. Do I go? All right, you guys. Uh, Today I'm talking about fluoride. James recommended this topic to me, and I started looking into it, and I was like, whoa. Like, whoa. Yeah, I got a lot of my information from Live Science, The Guardian, NBC News, and some other websites that I'll mention just throughout my my speech. So, almost everyone drinks or eats fluoride every day. Obvi. Because it's in our drinking water and our food and stuff. But some conspiracy theorists claim that the government uses fluoride to control our minds. Mellow us out so that we'll just do whatever the heck they want us to. Mm. It's mind control, you guys. As of 2016, per an article by Vice, about 5.7% of the world drinks artificially fluoridated water. Mm-hmm. It, this is happening in the U.S., obviously. Another article I read on fluoridealert.com listed mm-hmm. which U.S. states consume the most fluoridated water. Uh, District of Columbia was number one. James, you want to take a guess on who number two was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kentucky. It's Kentucky. Oh, boy. It's Kentucky. Well, I would say that government control's not working because that's a rowdy bunch over there. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe they're yeah. trying to control us for that reason. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota was third. Illinois, fourth. Maryland, fifth. I think Georgia was like seventh or eighth. But this is also happening in Canada, Australia, in the UK, etc. And there's a lot of debate about whether or not it's ethical to put fluoride in the water supply. Because technically, people aren't consenting to consuming it. It's like mm. mass uh, medication. Mm-hmm. And it's all, yeah, I read one thing that was also very interesting. It's like, you know, in small doses, they say it's not supposed to be bad for you. But how can you control how much somebody has to drink Agreed. water? Yeah. People drink yeah. it, some people drink a ton of water. Yeah, yeah. hello. Hi. Hand raised. That's yeah. me. But because fluoride is also, it's also a naturally occurring mineral. So that's another thing you can't control. People are also just getting it naturally. Hmm. But it's everywhere in nature, but most people just aren't going around eating dirt and (laughs) chomping on rocks, you know what I mean? Most aren't. I mean, unless they're eating... Oh, dang. I blanked on it. (laughs) 
my 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 vegetable I don't like. Whatever. Brussels sprouts. Yeah, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. <laughs> well, maybe you had that brain fart because of some fluoride, baby. <sighs> Please let it be that, not something else. <laughs> well, <laughs> the U.S. government started throwing it in the water supply around 1939, 1940s, uh, in order to help people prevent tooth 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 decay. Oh. Yeah, tooth decay, uh, but. Fluoride strengthens enamel on the teeth and it's used in toothpaste and mouthwash and all that stuff. So it does have benefits, but when consumed in large amounts, it can cause something called dental fluorosis. Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. But people will find these little white spots on their teeth. Their teeth might show pitting mm. and they might feel rough if you get too much fluoride, oh. which is interesting. Teeth pit sounds like a nightmare. I know. Doesn't sound, oh, just like, just thinking about like, Mm, I just rub my tongue over my teeth. It's just like, oh. Sounds like a good band name. Teeth my pit. two front teeth are fake. They're <laughs> made of. <laughs> Your front two teeth are fake. Yeah, my two front teeth are fake. I yeah. rammed my head into some monkey bars when I was in grade school, and they just crumbled in my hand. My Jeez. I was, yeah, I was rushed to the dentist, and they gave me two ceramic teeth. Should have had more fluoride. Yeah. I guess um, Kentucky doesn't have that much fluoride then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wish, I wish uh, that I had veneers, Alex. Hint, hint. Mm, I wish I had wink, money for wink. veneers. Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, the U.S. first fluoridated water, I think it was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in the 1940s. And within five years, they say, uh, apparently kids had 25% less cavities. Dang. So, they were like, confirmed. Fluoride is good for us. And then they just started throwing it everywhere. Something tells me they didn't take everything into account when they did that. Well, I don't know. I mean. New toothpaste technology. Yeah. Well, there are lots of different conspiracy theories. Like people, because there are a lot of anti-fluoride people out there. Yeah. Because honestly, like we have no idea. Like there's just, it's a very, it's a very divisive topic. Some people say it's great, especially if you're a dentist. Some people say it's awful. Especially if you're, I don't know. Well, I mean, the idea of being having something forced into your body yeah. is a little disconcerting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these are some of the biggest conspiracy theories that are floating around about why fluoride is bad. Mm. One, some people say the Nazis used it. Oh. Huh. Yeah. These people are saying it. <laughs> like that gas, James. <laughs> these people are on the internet. But some people claim <laughs> some people claim fluoride was first used at concentration camps to keep like the prisoners docile and calm. But didn't they have like I- I'm sure that those armed guards didn't have anything to do with? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all the fluoride, you guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll focus on the fluoride, not the guns. Yeah, no. But a website called Politifact.com looked into the claim. Uh, when a county in Florida voted against putting fluoride in the water because a resident stood up and said, hey, hey, um, did you know that the Nazis used it? And then the town was like, you know what? Mm, let's not do this. Wow. So they voted to not do it. But Is that all it takes to get fluoride out of the water? That's all it took there. <laughs> but politifact.com did a lot of research. They interviewed Holocaust historians. They also um, spoke with fluoridation critics. And they could find no evidence that this claim is actually true, that the Nazis used it. Hmm. And on this vein, there are also claims that Russia used fluoride to 
to control the masses too. And there's a booklet about fluoridation published by a guy named Ian E. Stevens in 1987 called Fluoridation, Mind Control of the Masses? With a question mark on the end. And in it, he speaks with a government research worker named Charles Elliot Perkins, who says that he was told by a German chemical producer that they had plans to put fluoride in the water of occupied countries. Hmm. And a fluoridation, he says, quote, repeated doses of infinitiz- in, 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 how, how do you say that word? Let me say infinitesimal. Infinitesimal, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amounts of fluoride will in time reduce an individual's power to resist domination by slowly poisoning and narcotizing a certain area of the brain and will thus make him submissive to the will of those who wish to govern him, end quote. He also says later, both the Germans and Russians added sodium fluoride to the drinking water of prisoners of war to make them stupid and docile, end quote. But PolitiFact looked and tried to find where these statements first originated because everybody was like, no, that's not true. And they said the only place they could find it was on in some article from an Australian fringe website. Mm. <laughs> so anyways, did the Nazis use it? Did the Russians use it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know why you might or you might cover this in a sec. If so, take this out. But I don't know why we don't just do what most of the world does and fluoridize our salt. You can really control how much salt you consume compared to water. That's true. That's what I most people do. That's what most people flip and do. I don't know why it's so controversial here. Yeah, well, there Stop are a box. lot of countries that. <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of countries that don't put fluoride in their drinking water because there's just not enough evidence that it, you know, the yeah. benefits outweigh the the harm that it could Ooh. actually cause. Yeah. Germany um, uses salt. Israel uses salt. I'm pretty sure Britain uses salt. Let's use salt. No. I mean, I'm not opposed. So, okay, number two, another thing. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people within the New Age community claim that it blocks the third eye, you guys. Yep. Yeah which is a way the government can control our minds. And many believe that the third eye has a lot to do with the pineal gland in the brain, yep. which we've talked about. James has talked about it a lot in some of our previous episodes. Yeah. But, but there is research that indicates that fluoride, among other substances, can calcify the pineal, pineal gland, pineal gland. I've heard both. Yeah, but that is something that just kind of happens with age too. But some believe that consumption of fluoride in large doses can... What's the word I'm looking for where it happens faster? Expedite. No. Yeah, no, that's, that's a yeah. great word. Yeah. yeah, it can expedite the process mm. of calcification. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. And then third, uh, the Illuminati, you guys. Apparently, the Illuminati plan to use it to take over the world, and that's why they're putting fluoride in our water. Mm. Makes sense. Makes sense. They want us to become sheeple. Mm, sheeple. Kind of a funny mm. connection there. You know, the, the pineal gland is the third eye, a.k.a. the eye of Horus. And the Illuminati symbol is the all-seeing eye, which is often associated with the eye of Horus. James, mm. stop it. <laughs> and I don't want fluoride in my water. Oh, I, I get it. That took me a second. That took me a second. It's because of those highbrow comedy people. No, well, you know, you call it what you want. Okay. <laughs> As crazy as all of those things sound, some studies carried out by Harvard and China Medical University did find that fluoride might have some serious side effects, uh, including reducing children's IQ. Yeah. When I read that, I was just like, we need to 
limit Gwen's water. Do it. Charlie goes through a filter. She drinks filtered no, no, water, I'm, though. I'm going to talk to you about these Uh-oh. filters. Does it not filter out the water? We got to get Alex Jones's filters, man. Well, <laughs> fluoride could also cause lower thyroid function and might possibly be linked to bone cancer mm, and boys. And I know that it can also call um, skeletal fluorosis, which is kind of a lot like Wait, um, bone dental. cancer only in boys. Yeah, for some reason, I guess the study the study was probably <laughs> only on boys. Oh. But it linked me to that study, okay? Yeah. Don't hate on me. This is just what I found. Okay. But many of the scientists who carried out this research have tried to be discredited by various organizations. And one woman named Catherine Carstairs, she's a professor in Ontario, I think it was, but she wrote an article about the history of fluoridation. And it was published in the American Journal of Public Health, and people got mean. People mm. were like, this woman's crazy. And the journal had to defend its decision to, quote, publish strong pieces of research, even when they do not fit well with our preconceived ideas. And it reminded me a lot of John Yudkin, who tried to call it the sugar industry, which is what I talked about in our first food conspiracies. He he was like, you know, you know, I think that carbs are really the the reason that people are getting heart disease and causing all this stuff. Everyone's like, nah. And everyone's, and all the, like, sugar industry and some of the other scientists were like, no, 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 it's fats. So I don't know. It just kind of reminded me a lot of that, how some some of these people are trying to be quieted down and their research not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Carstairs isn't the only researcher to be attacked for her work. Right. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. But you guys, what can you do to cut down on your fluoride consumption? Stop Since we don't know. Water. Collect <laughs> rainwater. Well, I mean, it's in it's in rainwater too, oh, dude. We're screwed. Okay, so here's yeah, here's one one idea. Stop drinking tap water. Okay. By the way, drinking water filtered through our refrigerator or a Brita, it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. Mm. Yeah, your water still got fluoride in it because those filters don't filter out the fluoride. Uh, but according to FridgeFilters.com. Hmm. You instead have to get a reverse osmosis water filtration system to do this. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds cheap. Well, no, it's actually not that bad. On their website, the system costs you about 200 bucks. Hmm. I'm not sure on the filter prices. They've, they varied between like 10 to 18 bucks, I think. Okay. But check them out. Fridgefilters.com. Okay. <laughs> Place to get your filters. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Another thing you can do to lower your fluoride consumption is find a fluoride-free toothpaste. And there are a lot on the market these days because everybody's like, eh, fluoride. Um, and they aren't too expensive. There was, they were like five to eight bucks and you can get them on Amazon. Some of them use charcoal, activated uh, charcoal. I bet stand. your dentist still shoves that fluoride treatment in your mouth. Oh, yeah. And there are some people that were like, you should just ask your dentist for a fluoride-free you know, cleaning and stuff. But fluoride is one of the only things that's kind of said to prevent tooth. Dooth. I said it again. Dooth. You did. Dooth decay. Tooth decay. So, I don't know. I feel like if I went to my dentist and said, hey, I don't want any fluoride, they'd be like, uh, get out of the chair and go home. And then that's, what are you doing here? But brush with whatever makes your heart feel best is my recommendation. And then stop eating meat because cows and pigs and chickens are probs drinking fluoridated water. Mm. So, 
I Our plants are drinking fluoridated water too. Yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but and I know, I know that uh, at local farms, it's probably the same thing. But you guys, if if you're listening, go support your local farmers. They need you right now, and their meat is going to be a lot healthier than whatever you find at Walmart and Kroger. Right, James? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Soapbox. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> All right, so last but not least, get a special shower faucet that cuts out the fluoride. Oh, interesting. I didn't even think about bathing in it. I wonder how much you absorb yeah. from that. You bathe in it every day, James. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it's just a little bit about fluoride, you guys. Is it bad for you? Is it good for you? I've The, the research goes every which way. All of the above. Yeah. yeah. Resign yourself to the fluoride. Become one of us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should see Alex right now with the hair. Yeah, I, pulled, I pushed it back. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, I think that that's, that's it for, for all of us. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank Troy for taking the time to talk on the show with us today. Troy, thank you for joining. Yeah. I loved it. Thanks so much. So I think it's time. It's that time again, you guys, for us to... Oh, Draw from the vase, and Alex has picked one from the vase. I have picked one. Are you guys ready to know what we're going to be talking about next week? Yeah. Yes. Drop it on us. Haunted dolls slash objects. Ooh. <laughs> I'm Start excited. choking at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm and excited for that one. This subject was submitted to us by Amy F. Nice. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Thank you, Amy. She's... I, Amy's You great. know Amy. I, I know Amy. Yeah. yeah okay. But, um, but... <laughs> Alex and I actually have a personal story about a haunted object. Yeah, we do actually. You, you'll get to uh, you'll get to listen to that next week. But is there anything anybody wants to say before we hit the road? Yeah, uh, Troy, do you want to plug your stuff one more time before we we head on out? Sure, not a problem. There are two things I want to plug actually. Again, um, the podcast is podcasting tips from the front Go over there, and it's podcasting tips that I've learned from my years in podcasting. The second thing is actually a plug for your all show, because I don't think you've ever talked about that after the music at the end, sometimes you throw in uh, just like hysterical <laughs> lines or quotes or sayings at the very end of yeah. the show. And I don't think you all have ever plugged that in the show that that's there at the end. Yeah, it's so. always it's always kind of been a secret. And I always wonder because nobody said anything about it ever to us. And I was like, I wonder if people just have never heard it. So, Troy, that warms my heart that you listen to that. <laughs> Our little secret ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's n- not every episode. I look, but... It's after the doing and then it's a, the fu- a funny voice or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I just love it. You didn't last week, and I'm so sad. Aww. Thank you. Yeah. I know, I know. Well, now I feel like I got to... Uh, now you got to slip your game up. I know, up, I got to step my game up. Sometimes it's like, I'm. I, yeah, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. All right, well, <laughs> I, think, I think that's it for this episode. Until next week, you guys, we hope that you can keep, keep it strange. strange. I got to say it. That was exciting. I just burped in the middle of talking.